0: Welcome to The Pursuit of Purpose, a podcast made possible by Skylife Success, a SkyPass group company. Join Chris Dunham, an author and speaker whose messaging has been described as the junction where God's ability and man's availability meet hope's accessibility. Well, a magnificent Monday to all of those who are joining. Uh, Greetings, dear ones. That is my standard way in which I have grown to address you. It has been another week, and it's been a busy week, and hence we haven't gotten back together as frequently as we thought we would. But on the heels of this pandemic now showing signs of lifting, the invitations are... uh, ramping up, and I happened to be in the city of Chicago on Tuesday, Wednesday, and early Thursday of last week. Got back Thursday to Dallas, had a full day here. On Friday morning, I jaunted off to Orlando, where I had to rent a car and then drive up to the city of Ocala, Florida, to speak at a federal correctional center in Marion. Now, this has been the second time I was invited there. That is part of what I do. It's uh, prison work I have done now for going on 30 years. Some of you early adapters may know that I got my start uh, featuring uh, presentations at a Toastmasters club or a gavel club in a penitentiary in Mansfield, Texas in the early 90s. And uh, that work has continued with me visiting institutions uh, at the state and federal and county level for over 30 years. My ongoing work primarily for the last 15 uh, has been in the city of Nashville, where I partner with an organization called Men of Valor and do some work with them in both the penitentiary through them doing some Feeding the Homeless programs and also working with those that are just released in the halfway houses. That's just a preamble to tell you that that's what my Saturday was like. I went into the institution somewhere uh, around 8 a.m. in the morning, uh, huddled up with the chaplain as to what the day was going to be like. The people who had invited me are serving long sentences, but we had 150 men uh, who joined me for four hours on worldviews, both uh, in the morning and in the afternoon. And then there's a group called Extreme Soul, S-O-U-L, Solutions, that does an event, and they asked me to be the speaker for that in the evening. So by the time I got back to Orlando, it was probably very late at night, and then an early flight back to Dallas. All this not to get any pity from you, but to say that uh, we have been burning the midnight oil and uh, traversing to wherever people would want to hear from us. In the last episode we did, we talked about developing leaders for global philanthropy. We gave you some of the history of philanthropy, uh, talking about Harvard and ancient Greece and Pliny the Younger, and then went on to talk about the foundational attributes of uh, Rockefeller and then the ministerial contributions of Mother Teresa and uh, Melinda Gates and all of those things. Then we uh, quickly went to what was called the why and the how. I'm an old fashioned trainer, so recap is vital. We talked about the condition, the place and the problems, the cause, the reasons, and the restrictions. Some of you were very, very sweet in asking me some questions about uh, how this heart begins to beat for somebody other than yourself. And does it take a lot of resources to actually begin to go? Well, I follow a biblical mandate of being asked to serve uh, before the Ascension. We were told to go to Judea and to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, when it was told Judea was a place that was closed, Samaria was a place that was a little farther and ends of the earth was where people like Thomas the doubter went like India. But if you had to draw concentric circles around wherever you are, your Judea is your neighborhood, your Judea is your community, your Judea is your city. Your Samaria may be your state and maybe a couple of surrounding states and depending on whether you like travel or not your ends of the earth may just be to the other part of the country in my case ends of the earth literally is the ends of the earth so now let's look at the concern the attitudes and assessments that lead towards one having the heart to both be a philanthropist to be participative in the philanthropic exercise and to develop your leadership skills or develop other leaders around you so that they would participate. What are the attitudes and assessments that we need to do when we look at the concern? One is study the world. Uh, People have always asked me uh, when I go into the prisons and I work with people, my attitude can never be about what they did. A jury of their peers has already convicted them. Uh, Whether you agree with the conviction or not, whether the individual feels they're guilty or not, whether the individual feels the sentence was worthy or not is not my concern. I have to come there with a clean slate and my attitude has to be one of gratitude for the privilege that I'm there. And the attitude of gratitude I convey to them is one that's just that. So if somebody talks to me about the toxicity of the system or the reasons that they feel uh, disenfranchised, I have to tell them it is the same system that allowed someone like me to spend my own dime and the resources given to us by others who work hard for it to send me to these environments. I said, for what I make in my corporate training, nobody would ever envision that I would spend eight hours in a facility on a Saturday between Good Friday and Easter which as an evangelical Christian are the three most important days I can think of for a preacher to be home to begin to rejuvenate on what the good Lord did. But that Holy Saturday is a day that for me means you have to go and deal with the disenfranchised. That's part of the call. So my attitude is always one of gratitude and my assessment is always about how do we get ahead from a standing start. Now, let's say you drew the straw and had to go to the ends of the earth. Your attitude for the ends of the earth has to be one of gratitude that you get to go there. And your assessment should be, what can you do from a standing start? Don't try to erase their past by commenting on the brutality of their history as the reason for their present. Many people living in, living in time now had nothing to do with the history that resulted in where they are. Uh, When you go to Eastern Europe and you look at the brutality and all of the things that took place within the communism and the totalitarian regimes post-World War II, it's easy to say, hey, you know what, Uh, on the heels of the Roman Empire and the Ottoman Empire and the fascism and the communism, the reason you are where you are, my assessment is that you have never really truly understood freedom. And this is what has caused a rift in a part of the world when you try to go to change them based on your assessment of their history. Let them be proud of who they are. Let them be gloriously happy in what they do. And as a result of that, try to participate. And your concern should be an attitude of gratitude. Your assessment should be to get ahead from a standing start. What can you do in time and place with the skill set you have to move the needle positively? You cannot blame them. And as a result, one of the things I do say in the prisons when I go is you can either let your past beat you or you can let it teach you. If you want it to teach you, I'm your man. If you want it to beat you, I'm not your man. Then after that comes the creativity, the plans and the protocols. How do you share that which you know in an environment that may have never known it? If I'm evangelical and I'm going into a place teaching worldviews where the worldviews there practiced uh, range from... Islam and Judaism to Buddhism and maybe even some practice the Wicca which is Satan worship I cannot go in there with uh, with an with with the idea that I'm going to make them think the way I think because I'm erudite and sophisticated and I've got a three ring binder, which in case I'm not allowed. So they actually had to print my handout and I had to prepare in the morning and have a plan and a protocol for the day because once I got in there and they gave me my handout is only when I could begin to write what I was going to actually, because something I usually write in the hotel room and prepare my agenda and all, they had to print out my handout because I can't carry anything in unless it's on the list, which. I found out later. So your plans and all that uh, do make your creativity work. So I have to find illustrations that they would understand. So when I'm speaking in the country of Indonesia, which is the largest Muslim country in the world in terms of sheer populace, and whether I'm invited as a secular motivational speaker or a sacred preacher in the in the fledgling church there, I have to go in with a plan that makes sure that my attitude is right and that the plan and the protocol has some research to be done. So part of my plan in Indonesia, for example, when I got there's their local badminton player, which is a sport they kind of revere, had done some yeoman work and had been won some, won some Southeast Asian championships. So you use those illustrations which are pertinent to them. Because remember, wherever in the world people are, no matter how bad they're hurting, no matter what their socioeconomic condition is, each of them has a hero three levels removed from them. So in Senegal and the Sudan, you might, they may be revering a soccer player who played on the streets just like them with uh, uh, basically no footwear or any of the other accoutrements that go with being a fashionable star. But then they got signed because of their ability and they're now a millionaire. So you get hope. So your plan and the protocol of creativity has to be able to connect them with who they already revere and draw a connection between what they revere and what you're offering in terms of a strategy. So now you don't look like a third party talking head, but you look like someone who can. Uh, complement, and I'm not meaning saying nice things, I talk about C-O-M-P-L-E, complement and supplement that which they already believe. This A in the training world facilitates adult learning and allows you to hit the ground running. So do your research. Part of your creativity is not doing a verbal dump of that which you know or wanting to change that part of the world to something you know. Your plan and your protocol has to ease into by realizing. So, if you're doing a frontline shepherd event in outer Mongolia, you have to understand that the people there live a certain way, eat a certain way, and as a result of that. And I've had many people complain about the food when they go and, you know, go to India and Delhi Belly. You have to take your precautions if you're from another country. But remember, in a lot of these cultures, food is sacred to them. So tell them up front. be creative about it. Tell them your plan. If you're on a medical diet, nobody will complain. Use that instead of saying, man, I can never eat something like that. The commitment is the next. So we've talked about condition, cause, concern, creativity. We'll talk about commitment and maybe we'll add one more component to this, which will be Developing Leaders for Global Philanthropy 3. So today we'll go down as two. Last week was obviously one. Uh, We've talked about the condition, the cause, the concern, and the creativity. Now let's look at the commitment, which is the most important part. And I'll finish up with this today and probably begin with this again, because commitment is the most important component in all of the development. Mr. Ziegler, my mentor and hero, ironically, was one of the people who had made the statement, and he would, I don't know whether it was original to him or he got it from someone else, but it was one of those things that when I say now, most people don't even understand what I'm saying. But the statement he used to make is most people are as committed as a kamikaze pilot on his 39th mission. But the kamikaze pilot of German lore during World War II did not require a helmet because it was going to be one and done. A kamikaze pilot on his 39th mission means someone who is not committed. But when I use the word kamikaze pilot, which was a World War II uh, component, many people who are youngsters today do not even understand the term, forget the word component or a commitment. But in commitment, we have two things. One is the decision and the other is the direction. Now, the decision to do something is easy. Many people in their 20s uh, have a promise uh, to themselves that they want to create a place that would be their home. In the 30s, they want to be able to sow some roots and have purpose. In the 40s, they begin to understand that their purpose has now, they have a new passion for what they want to do with the rest of their lives. And these are all decisions that take place over a period of time. Now, I've been doing global philanthropy in the sense of a broader sense, but just basic uh, ministerial work or uh, charitable work for 30 years. And each day I wake up, the decision to do it does not change with the systems that are in place now or the opportunities that may present itself because of the notoriety gained over a life doing it. I've seen many people who gravitate away from the main cause. They begin with something because they were lifted out of the ashes and did something remarkable in the early days, and they rose like a phoenix at that time. But as their celebrity grew, their cause grew, and they abandoned that which they began with and began to move in the circles where their notoriety took them. If those circles reward you and fund you, and you forgot where you came from, and you start moving in these circles, That changes your direction drastically. So one of the things about commitment is make sure that some part of your daily decision never leaves that which you began with. So your prime motivation and your prime motive stays the same. Keep the main thing the main thing. The, one, the reason I do prison ministry still after all these years and give up Saturdays is because it was where I got my start as a public speaker. It was in those early days of standing in front of inmates and trying to fathom talks that allowed me to get stuff done in 30 and 35 minutes. I mean, it's great control. You leave your identity, you leave your wallet, you leave your watch, you leave everything behind in your car, and you walk in and you sign a piece of paper in those days, and even now, which is electronic, that in case of any untoward circumstance, you would agree to be treated like anybody else, and there's nothing special about you. Now you're stripped of your identity, you're stripped of everything else, and the only thing you can rely on is the goodness of your heart you brought you there, and the goodness of God that gave you the heart to go there. So the commitment uh, that I have to make is the decision to go back there over and over again. Now think about it. What are the odds that you would fly to a city of Orlando and amidst rain and airplane delays on a Saturday, be bounced from one plane to another, get down there, rent a car, now the thunderstorms are there, you're in horrendous traffic, and you inch your way up the freeway and then you arrive at your hotel, And you're alone by yourself. This is the family weekend. And then you're lying on the bed there watching TV or or looking at your computer because even your preparation is uh, going to be left up to the creativity we talked about. And at that time, you begin to ask yourself, you know, do I really need to be doing this? I'm 60 years old. I've been doing this for 30 years. I have paid my dues. This was a step that I participated in. But this is what tests your commitment in leadership. This is what tests your direction in leadership. People always say, and one of the highlights of my life was just that. One of the questions asked the first time I visited this particular facility last year was, when you look at the man and the legend and the myth and the greatness of the motivational Mecca, Mr. Zig Ziglar, The question they asked me was, what is the one attribute or quality he had that defined him more than any other quality? I said, well, I would call him the most consistent person I had ever known as a human being. And I said, if the dictionary ever went pictorial, the dictionary's word consistent would have to be removed in terms of text, and a picture of Mr. Ziegler would have to be put in. This is a statement I have made years and years ago, and many of you would agree that you probably heard me say that before. The question is, do I believe that? I obviously do because I want to be consistent like him. And if I told them that the most consistent thing uh, I realized was him and then they called me back again and I now said that, you know, I've changed my decision and I've changed my direction and my commitment has moved on to something different, I'd be a hypocrite. Well, when I finished in the prison after about four hours or six hours for the morning group, uh, they surprised me. They said that, uh, you know what? We have created something called the Zig Ziglar Man of Consistency Award, and we would like to give you it as a recipient and one of the founding recipients. I was honored. It's a piece of paper that they put together with an idea on a computer with what resources they have. They print it out on a small landscape and then stick it in a small folder that is clear plastic. There are so many things that go with it, and so many people want to sign it. So there's six signatures on it from the group that run that group. And you know, you look at their joy in putting their signature to something that they have given you. And then I looked at that and I thought to myself, oh wow, that is awesome. And then it was over, there was a young man who said, hey, you know what, I don't know much about Mr. Ziegler, I'm fairly young, but because of you, I've started going, getting my chance, and whenever I get a chance, I ask the library folks if I can get a video of him or whatever, and I've started watching him. And at the end of the session, he just pointed to the heaven above and he says, I don't have a question to ask Mr. D, but I'm going to point to the heaven and thank Mr. Ziegler. And he just looked up at the sky and he said, or at the roof and he said, Mr. Ziegler, you sent us a good one. And man, my tears started flowing because the accolade of what I do was not about the fact that you want an accolade, but that was pure. So when you're developing yourself a global philanthropy, look at the condition, the cause, the concern, the creativity, but make sure your commitment about your decision and the direction. Stay focused by sometimes making sure you go back to the roots of why you began this. Times will change, resources will change, opportunities will differ, and new frontiers will beckon. And I have participated in all of that with great joy. But when we come back next week or whenever, hopefully by the end of this week, I'll be able to get the third one out of the way. Today, we went a little longer, but thanks for hanging in there. Developing leaders for global philanthropy. I have great joy in more talking about this and doing this. Hopefully, the examples gave you a little pep. And uh, until next time, this is your humble host, Chris Dunham, saying good luck. God bless. Thank you. And that concludes another episode of the Pursuit of Purpose with Krish Dunham brought to you by Skylife Success. Please subscribe, rate, and visit us on the web at krishdunham.com and skylifesuccess.com where you can find our social media links and access to additional resources. Till next time, happy learning and happy living.